Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Stairway to CEO podcast brought to you by Future Commerce. I'm your host, Lee Green, and it's my mission to bring you a real, honest, and unfiltered interview with top business leaders from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 17 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I sat down with Brandon Werber, the founder and CEO of AirVet. AirVet is a telehealth platform that connects pet owners with veterinarians live and on demand through live video and chat anytime, anywhere. With thousands of veterinarians on the platform, AirVet's on a mission to make pet care more accessible to pet owners across the country more than ever before. In this episode, Brandon shares with us his entrepreneurial journey from growing up in LA to learning some hard lessons from his first failed startup to building AirVet and recently closing a $14 million Series A round during a global pandemic. Tune in to hear all of this and more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave us an awesome review. We hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks, Brandon, so much for being on the podcast today. I'm super excited to hear your story in growing AirVet. Uh, to kick things off, where are you from? Uh, yeah, and, and thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, so I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, and that's still where I am now. So born here, raised here, and stayed here. All right. And I know that you have uh, a celebrity father who is a celebrity veterinarian. I saw you guys actually on KTLA. I saw that segment. Oh, cool. um, <laughs> you guys were great. But tell me about your family. Do you have any siblings? I do. So I have an older sister and a younger sister. So I was the only boy sandwiched in between them. So that, that was a lot of fun being the, the middle child, but the only boy. And yeah, I've got uh, my, my mother and father live about a block away from me. And uh, my dad is uh, often known as kind of the Hollywood veterinarian. So his his clientele, you know, if you're a, an actor or athlete or celebrity, a singer, musician of any type, and you live in LA, there's probably a pretty good chance that uh, my father is your veterinarian. So, uh, yeah. That's hilarious. So I assume you may have uh, grown up with a few pets. <laughs> they actually called it the Dr. Doolittle house. No way. No, that's it's literally what people called it. So at, at any given time, and that includes now, we had at minimum 11 cats and dogs. I don't think we ever had less than that. And that doesn't include, you know, we had guinea pigs, rats, goldfish. We have a, just until recently, a little Russian dwarf hamster. And uh, we've had all types of pets, but uh, yeah, lots of cats and dogs. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. You know, I had a guinea pig growing up. I miss her. She, you know, only lasted like three years, but um, <laughs> so you always had that many pets. I mean, so you grew up loving animals basically from a really young age, I assume. I, I felt like one. Uh, I mean, we were, we had, there's three kids, 11 animals, and uh, sometimes it was tough to, to tell who were the real kids and who got the most attention. Uh, so yeah, I, we grew up with, with an innate love and appreciation for, for animals are the, you know, the furry four legged family. Um, and it, it stayed with me forever. My, my dad actually wanted to be a vet since he was five years old. Wow. And that's all he ever wanted to do. Uh, which is really funny because when he was five, he had a dog, I think it was a Rottweiler who was sleeping and, uh, my dad, uh, was playing around and accidentally stepped on him uh, while he was playing or fell on him and he, and he jumped up from asleep and bit him in the face and uh, basically ripped off his nose. And my dad ended up having plastic surgery, hundreds of stitches to get his nose back on as just a kid. And somehow he was like, yep, want to be a vet. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was wild. And that's all he ever wanted to do. And, and that's exactly what he did. Um, and I grew up with that, that same drive and love of wanting to help animals and wanting to help people who, who have animals and, and be you know, the best pet parents we can be. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, gosh, what didn't I want to be? I was like your typical, you know, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a, a Hollywood agent. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a vet. 
I, I wanted to do so many things. And when I went to undergrad to USC, um, I studied uh, uh, business, but then I also uh, did some, some pre-med and neuroscience because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I figured I would do everything. And then I would, and then I would decide from there. Um, so after I graduated from USC, um, I went to work at uh, Fox Studios. And then after that, I went to work at CAA in the agency. So I basically did what every kid from LA did. <laughs> and I went into entertainment. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it's really kind of a mishmash of, of uh, what I wanted to be just really depended on the week. Yeah. When you were younger, did you have any signs that kind of maybe could point to becoming an entrepreneur at some time? Um, it's funny. I bet if you were to ask my mother, she would say, yeah, he hated following other people's rules and uh, wanted to uh, always kind of play by the beat of his own drum and watch the beat of his own drum. And I was always very creative in that sense. Uh, I, I, I always looked at things differently or was always thinking of ideas of, of how to build things differently or do things differently um, and didn't really fit into the, the box. Um, I think oftentimes, even, even as you know, students, young students and having teachers and being in different programs, um, everyone always wants to put things in a box so they can label it and be neat and pretty so they know where things go. Um, and I never felt like I belonged in one of those. Um, so I'm sure when it come to, came to following rules and, and doing my own thing, that, that's, uh, um, they always said I'd be a good attorney because I like to argue. So <laughs> who knows? But uh, yeah, I, I think I always had a bit of a knack for doing things a little bit differently and being creative. What's one of the most challenging things uh, that may have happened during your childhood or growing up? Um, that's a great question. Um, so gr growing up, I actually had a, a, a raging case of ADHD and was on Ritalin, uh, before they knew all the side effects that that, that, that brought. Um, and it was tough for me to focus. It was tough for me to follow along. And I had special rules in school, literally in like fourth grade, fifth grade, uh, teacher said, as, as long as I had one knee on the chair, that was considered sitting down. I didn't have to actually sit in a chair <laughs> during class because I couldn't sit still. Um, so that was always hard. It was hard uh, in school. And I, I, always, uh, I was always for academically fine and, 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 and thrived in, in that sense. But uh, staying focused and being in one place just mentally was always really tough. So um, luckily, I had just absolutely incredible parents. And, and my mom and I were and are very, very close and, and worked on that a lot together. And I had a special uh, therapist that would help me on work on tools to concentrate. Um, and I didn't realize then, but looking back, so much about entrepreneurship is about learning new skills and being able to pick up tools because we can't be good at everything, certainly. And I am absolutely not good <laughs> at everything. And being able to have this skill set and tools to say, hey, these are areas I'm not good. Uh, I'm not proficient here. I'm not efficient there. I don't have these types of, of tools and skills. And how do I learn them? Uh, I didn't realize it until adulthood. But I because of that, I kind of started having to think that way at a very young age. Interesting. So what are some of those strengths and weaknesses you would say that you can point to even today? So right now, and this this might be common with a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs, but I think one of the biggest skills that I'm still learning is saying no. I think one of the most important things we can do as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, is say no. Because saying yes is easy because you want to do everything. You want to boil the ocean. You, want, you have all these ideas of things you want to do and you want to do it all and you want to do it all now. Saying no is a learned skill. And it's hard to do because there's nothing more important, at least in my opinion, as an entrepreneur than being focused. And being focused means a lot of no. Um, so I would say that's one of the things that I'm still learning how to do because every opportunity looks like a great opportunity, whether it's for fundraising and, and who to bring in and how much to raise or who to partner with. It's a learned skill saying no. Um, and then time management is really, really hard. And prioritizing, which, which ultimately comes down to time management. Um, running efficient meetings. These are all things that seem easy but they're really hard. Um, and they have so much impact. I mean, and they all interrelate as well. So running efficient meetings, right, goes down to if you feel like like I do, where too many meetings in a day, 
Um, just last week, I had 43 meetings in just a five-day work week. And I've been kind of really working on the skill of not only having less meetings, but accomplishing more in a shorter period of time in a meeting. And you find that the better at that you are, all of a sudden, time management, you find yourself less pressed for time all the time. So they all interrelate. Um, and I think these are some of the skills I'm, I'm still working on daily. Hey, real quick, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Future Commerce Insiders. Insiders is a weekly newsletter that brings you the information you need at the intersection of technology, entrepreneurship, and commerce. If you're a tech founder or an operator at an e-commerce brand, Insiders is purpose-built just for you. Commerce connects all of us, and entrepreneurship gives anyone the opportunity for economic advancement. So, commerce entrepreneurship has the ability to change the world. Want to join us? Do it right now at futurecommerce.fm. That's futurecommerce.fm. So you started your career off in the entertainment world, uh, working at Fox and CAA. Tell me about your experience in uh, working at CAA. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, so I, I started as an intern in the mailroom, like, like many do. Awesome. Uh, and that was a ton of fun. And I think what it teaches you a lot of is humility. Um, nobody dreams, uh, at least it wasn't my dream to one day deliver mail to agents, right at CAA. That wasn't the goal, right? Um, for me, it was always, uh, I think I got somewhat, maybe even a little disillusioned or had different perspective on what it was, uh, the role I wanted because of things like entourage. I grew up like we all did, right? Mm -hmm. Watching entourage and funny enough, Jeremy, Jeremy Piven's a client of my dad's as well. And you think that it's a certain way, just like if you were to grow up watching Grey's Anatomy, you would think being a doctor, or if you watch House, right? Being a doctor is a certain way. Um, and then it's very, it's very much not. Um, it's very different than, than the way. And it sounds obvious, but when you're you know, 15, 16, you think this is a great portrayal of, the, of a field or a profession. So yeah. you start delivering mail. It teaches you uh, humility. And then you become an assistant. Again, more humility. And I had a really wonderful boss that I was lucky to have uh, early name Raj Raghavan. And um, he was in the TV talent. And I went through two pilot seasons. So any, anybody who knows anything of, uh, about the agency world, pilot season is just insane. Um, you're there super early. You stay super late. You work nights, weekends. You're constantly reading scripts and submitting information. And um, what I learned there... Uh, is how important it detail being detail oriented is. And I had a great boss who, who, and he's a wonderful agent, I think he's actually still at CAA, um, who really showed and, and led by example, but, but had accountability, wanted me to have accountability because I'm a rusher. Uh, because of everything I shared already, it's one thing to the next, got to get everything done, got to do it quickly. And being able to slow down and be detail-oriented, knowing that you're not just representing you, and in this case, Brandon Werber, right? You're representing not only your boss or your department, you're representing CAA. So when you send something out that has grammatical errors or you know, the wrong date on it because you didn't adjust it, you think it's these are little things, but, uh, but the devil is in the details. And I, was, I learned very early in my career at CAA um, that those things matter, right? And the words you use matter and being detail-oriented matters because you're representing more than just yourself. Um, I also learned that I didn't want to be an agent, right? <laughs> because Why after not? It's, um, you know, it's funny because it doesn't seem like being an entrepreneur is any different, but it can be, and, and it is if you work on it. But it was right after uh, Christmas break. I was in the bathroom and I am washing my hands and I'm hearing two people behind me talk to each other, two agents, big time agents who represent, you know, A-list talent talking. Um, hey, how was your, how was your weekend? Uh, how was your break? And one's like, oh, you know, what's, what's a break? You know, my, my wife uh, gave me certain hours that each day I could be on my phone and do emails. So from two to four, I was able to do this. And I'm sitting there washing my hands and asking myself, is this the life I want? Like, is this what's ahead for me? is being so glued to my work where even on a holiday break, uh, I have to get specific hours from my, my family that tells me when I can do work and when I have to be away. And it was almost this eureka moment uh, along with the, the, the smell of bubblegum soap that that was not the life that I wanted. 
Um, but that is very much uh, the life and culture of, of a big time, you know, Hollywood agent. And it's simply not what I wanted. Um, I'm very relationship driven, and I really care about people. And I wanted to solve big problems. Um, so it was then that I realized, hey, you want a, a, a life that's not like that. And then all of a sudden becomes an entrepreneur as if that's going to take less time. Exactly. But you know what? The funny thing is, you can't. And it doesn't mean you get it right away. But it's as an agent, it's only more of that, the, the bigger you get. Um, but as an entrepreneur, it's a lot of that up front, you're working 24 seven. But as you grow, you develop some of the skills around time management and all that. And and then you get to decide what type of founder you want to be and what's important to you and how to prioritize, you know, your kids or, or your spouse, uh, your friends, your social life, because mental health, as obviously, there's a lot of problems in entrepreneurship and mental health. And I think a lot of that has to do with the inability to prioritize and, and time management. So we don't look at ourselves, our bodies as the, the, the channel for this creativity if your body fails and your mind is failing because you're not sleeping or you're not uh, working out or eating healthy because you have no time, you can't mm -hmm. be uh, optimizing yourself as a CEO either. And people depend on you for that. So yeah. um, that's, that's a long-winded uh, response uh, to kind of what I learned at CAA. Awesome. And so you realize, you know, in this bathroom moment that this just isn't the right career for you anymore. Where do you go from there? So right after that is when, when I started my, my very first company um, with, some, uh, with some really wonderful folks that I met within with my, my network that was growing as, as, uh, as my, I guess my professionalism was, was growing. Um, and I started a company called Lootsy, L-O-O-T-S-I-E. And, um, and that was my first entree into entrepreneurship. And, uh, and I loved it. And I loved it every second. And we made tons of mistakes, um, building Lutzi and, and, and executing. And to be honest, figuring out a lot of the same issues around focus. I mean, we were all over the place and saying no to things seems like that was a word that wasn't in our vocabulary. We wanted to say yes to everything and grow quickly. Um, we were very excited about hiring new people and growing the team. Um, but I think culturally looked for some of the wrong thing and, uh, really relied a lot on resumes and not on team dynamics. So, um, so that's what I did after that. And I ran that company with, uh, with a co-founder for about five or six years. And, uh, I always say that's, so I was almost like getting two or three MBAs, um, in uh, a lot of what not to do. And I'm, but I'm thankful for that experience because it enabled me to be where we are now, knowing a lot of the things not to do and to do. So what are some of those things, um, that you shouldn't do as a first time founder that you think most first time founders actually do that may, might not be the right, you know, decision or thing to move on. What are some of those, uh, those things? So I think a big, a big thing is drinking your own Kool-Aid. You know, it's, it's really easy to do to drink mm -hmm. your own Kool-Aid and you often don't know that you're doing it. But you spend time, everyone tells you, you know, fake it till you make it and talk about how, you know, crushing it is like this cult, this crush it culture, and you're always crushing it. And it's always this and, um, and it's so easy to get wrapped up in that, um, because you're excited, and you believe in what you're doing. And, um, and it's really easy to get caught up drinking your own Kool-Aid. So that's, that's one thing I would say, to anybody who's, who's uh, uh, thinking through starting a new business or whatever it is. And in first time entrepreneurs or even five time entrepreneurs, I still drink my own Kool-Aid a little bit. Right? <laughs> I mean, how hard. can you not? That's the problem, right? It's like this fine line between being, I mean, cause you have to be crazy enough to believe that you can pull something off like that. Totally. And you have to convince so many people, your investors, your team, everybody that this is going to happen. It's going to be huge. We can all do this. How do you know if you're actually drinking Kool-Aid or if you're just being what you're supposed to be, which is a great founder who believes in what they're yeah. doing? So interestingly, somebody said something to me the other day, uh, one of my advisors and, and mentors, um, which, which, oh, hold on. My two little Frenchies in the background, Chris, starting a revolt. It's a Frenchie revolution over here. I thought you'd have at least 11 pets as well. <laughs> I know, a few houses down. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, he said something really interesting to me, a, a mentor of mine uh, named David, who's, who's brilliant and he's a very close friend. He also lives two blocks away from me, oddly enough. Um, 
And he said, there's a difference between being a founder and being a CEO. And I didn't really know what he meant originally until I thought about it, because being a founder, you're a salesman, right? You're selling to investors, you're selling to your team because you want to hire and you always want people to be excited. And you're, you know, you're drinking your Kool-Aid. That's what founders do. That's our job. And, you know, my sister, uh, Rana, R-A-N-A, my sister Rana is also a founder and she started the first edible cookie dough company. And um, it's pretty cool. And uh, it's, uh, as you would imagine, two blocks away from my house as well. It's, it's called Edible. Um, E-D-O-U-G-H-B-L-E, like Ed Doble. And, um, and she's a phenomenal founder. And I think what she's learning very quickly, even though she's done this for a long time, and they do very well. But the skill she's honing in on right now, uh, where we both are, is where do you go from founder to CEO? Right. And, and that's a learned skill. So many of these things are learned skills. And when you're a founder, you are drinking the Kool-Aid. It's almost your job. But when you're a CEO is when you start knowing when you're drinking your own Kool-Aid and when not to. I have uh, maybe not, not so, so uniquely, I drink my own Kool-Aid all the time because if someone were to ask me right now, is AirVet going to take over the world? My answer is yes. Right. Of course, we are. I believe that. But also, I think there's so much that can be said about around humility. And I think as you craft and fine tune your skill set, knowing when you're drinking your Kool-Aid and when to sell and when not to sell, because oftentimes the CEO of a startup is also the best salesman yep. and, uh, or saleswoman, um, salesperson. It's your job, right? Because you, you, that's how you got to where you are. You don't, you don't go from you know, a, a small team to a medium team to a larger team, you know, go through multiple funding rounds and not know how to sell, right? Turn, knowing when to turn that off and be human, knowing that it's time to be a CEO, it was hard for me. I mean, even now, like sometimes I find myself pitching or selling to my own team when it's like, we're like, hello, we know that's why we're here. That's why we left our cushy jobs to be here. But it's hard. And I think that's a, that's a big uh, it's a big and extraordinarily impactful skill to have is knowing the, the lines between founder and CEO. That's super interesting how you explained that. Um, what are some other skill sets um, that make up a great CEO? So after you kind of, you know, go from that founder, you switch into the CEO gear. What is, what are those core skill sets that you've had to learn? Um, firing yourself. Uh, I think it's important because as, as CEOs, we wear a lot of hats, right? We do everything from fundraising to even customer support all the time, uh, hiring and HR, team culture. Um, oftentimes, uh, we're, we're also the, the head of sales and we just wear a lot of hats. In my opinion, one of the best skills that a, a CEO can have is getting excited around firing yourself from each one of those roles and hiring people better than you at that and smarter than you uh, at that, right? At those particular areas, because A, you cannot do it by yourself. You need to hire an amazing team and a team that you feel that you don't need to manage or micromanage because you trust them because you've hired people better than you. If you're the best person on your team, you have not done yourself a service. If you're the smartest person in the room, uh, you're in the wrong room, right? You don't ever uh, want to be the best in your team at all those things. Um, and I knew that I'm, I'm okay at product, but I am not the head of product who has 20 years of experience running product at multiple different, it's not me, right? And even though the product is critical in my company, I fired myself from that. And I brought in an amazing head of product named Stephanie. And, uh, and she became my product mentor, right? She teaches me about product. And the same thing goes with, with operations. I brought in someone named Andrew, who uh, is an operations wizard, and he has transformed our internal operations in the company. Uh, and even though I've now been in startups together for you know seven plus years, eight years, um, you can't be the best at it all. So firing yourself is also a learned skill because it's hard to let go. And that's another skill, letting go, not empowering people, right? And telling you, okay, you're the head of product, but then micromanage them and make all the product decisions go through you, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, it's easy to do that, right? It's easy to forget that you've hired someone to do that and you have to trust them. And if you don't, 
then you either have to work on yourself and letting go or you've hired the wrong person. So I think um, those are some other skills um, that are that are learned. I think again, saying saying no and focus is a skill, but firing yourself is a, is an important thing. And hiring people that are better than you at certain things and smarter than you in certain areas, and let them um, let them run those groups and departments and trust them and don't micromanage them because they will leave. Um, so yeah, it's uh, luckily we we since the day we started Airvet have actually not lost one person. That's Nobody great. has quit since the day we started um, almost two years ago. Um, and I think that's because we have a culture of accountability and, and empowerment. Um, and I learn from my team every single day uh, around those things. And I think the last thing is, is humility. It's really easy to not just drink your company's Kool-Aid, but drink your own Kool-Aid. Uh, because we like to think that we're here because we're great and wonderful. Um, and sure, there might be areas that we're great and wonderful. But I but I promise you there are people better than you uh, and there are people better than, than I am. And there are people smarter and more accomplished and have a better resume and went to uh, Harvard and Yale, right? And I went to USC, great school. But if you can't see past your own BS and think that you're just the bee's knees because you've started a company, if you've, you've raised rounds, um, nobody wants to work with somebody who is constantly tooting their own horn and, and ego is it could crush your company and crush your culture. And I think it's important to feel lucky to have these opportunities that we have to start companies and, and have people believe in us and a team willing to, to, to work with us and support us in, in, in turning our dreams into realities. Um, and I think humility is, is one of the best skills a CEO can have. So moving back to going back to what you were saying about, you know, you were at Lutzi, your first startup company, what happened then? Did you have to close up shop and move, you know, you started something else? What, what happened after with Lutzi? Yeah, we had, uh, we did end up winding it down. Um, we were uh, until the very end, pretty all over the place. And I think in the end of the day, outside of all the great lessons around culture and team that, that I learned, um, I think just conceptually, we were probably a bit ahead of our time. Uh, we worked in, in building better, smarter loyalty programs. Um, and we had some great wins along the way and learned a lot and had great partnerships. Um, but I think in the end of the day, we were disrupting an industry that just wasn't ready to be disrupted. Um, certainly on the enterprise side, I mean, there are you know, airline companies that had the same technology for loyalty programs, you know, for the last 20 years, um, and overhauling them was just something they weren't re ready to do. So yeah, um, that's what, uh, ended up happening. So we wound it down and, um, how long and, did you and, uh, work on the company? Kind of decided to take on a new adventure. Uh, about five or six years, six years or so. So that's a long time that you invested your time and energy and working at a company. There's, you know, 80% of startups fail, right? So to any founders out there that are thinking they have to shut down their company, I mean, even with COVID, obviously, I mean, there's a lot of companies that are really struggling right now. What are some of the emotions that you went through in kind of accepting failure in a lot of ways? And how did you overcome that to come to the realization that you had to close things down? What was that process like? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, for me, and I think everybody's different, and everybody internalizes uh, the the mental back and forth that goes into: Is it time to shut it down? Yep. Am, am, I, am I giving up, or is it actually time? And that one, yes, God, there is no good answer for that. Um, I have a, one of my closest friends in the world since I was fourteen has had a company that that he's kind of been inching along for so long, and he weighs every day, and I try to help him through it. Like, is it, is this the universe telling me it's time Yeah. or am I giving up like yeah. right before our big breakthrough? Oh, it's so painful. I mean, that, cause the whole startup culture is all about never give up. You see all these celebrity yeah. people, everybody's like, don't give up, don't give up. And I'm like, actually, maybe you should, because yeah. it's, it could be a pretty painful ride for the next 10 years. Like how much pain can you actually Absolutely. tolerate? And I think you're 100% right. And I think also it becomes that weighing of, am I giving up or is it my ego? And again, it goes back mm. to humility. Am, yes. I, am I too proud to fail, mm -hmm. right? Am I too proud? There are so many people that know that 
I'm building this company, right? Every, yeah. all my friends, my family, everyone knows that this is my It's thing. your identity too. Exactly. Exactly. And, and what happens in a month when they say, Oh, how's Lutzi going? You go, Oh, you know, we uh, actually ended up winding it down. Nobody wants to do that. But you ask yourself, am I continuing because my, I so believe in our mission or am I too proud to, do I have too much ego to uh, allow myself to move on to the next adventure and tell people it didn't work out? Or maybe it's fear. It's afraid of admitting failure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think a lot of people are afraid to say, you know what? I couldn't make it work. Absolutely. And, and knowing that, is it failure or did I succeed in learning so much about myself, mm-hmm. uh, what I can and can't do, where my, my, my gaps are, learn about culture, learn about operations. And I succeeded in doing that. Um, so when asking, uh, you know, it, it's, that, it's that weighing and asking yourself, like, how did I decide? Um, and I think there's no right answer of, of when do you know? Um, I think you just have to ask yourself the right questions. Of, mm-hmm. Am I continuing because I so believe in this? Uh, is it my pride and ego that's getting and kind of forcing me to continue? Am I lying to myself about this? And to answer the question of what was that emotion, that biggest one for me, it was guilt. There were so many people that backed me early in my career, uh, whether it was with their time, their advice and mentorship with capital, so many people, wonderful, wonderful people backed me yeah. and, uh, including friends and family. Yeah. And I felt guilty. That's the overwhelming emotion that I felt. It wasn't ego or pride. Um, it wasn't fear because I, I believe in myself and I'm ex- I was excited to do more, uh, with my career and to start another company. And I knew that I would, it was guilt. People back you and then, and a, you know, ideally expect a return on their time. Right. Or, you and, let them down, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a hard feeling to swallow. Is That's really letting hard. Other people down. Yeah. What, what do you think? I mean, if, if, you know, putting yourself in, in those shoes, what do you think for, for you specifically, what, what would some of those emotions be? Cause I, I think everyone's different. Yeah. I mean, I think we touched on a lot of them, like just the failure to admit that it's wrong and when to realize that it's time to let it go. Um, because there is so much pride and there's so much pressure and there's so many people invested and, and there's no one to really talk to about mm-hmm. it. I mean, if, especially for solo founders and you've got investors that are, you know, they only want to hear the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. They don't want to know. <laughs> so you got to, you really are in it alone in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, or if you do have co-founders, you know, at least you can confide in each other. But then again, maybe there's a conflict too. Maybe one person thinks, what do you mean? We can't give up now. So that's like a whole nother dy- dynamic. Oh, you yeah. not even be able to talk to your co-founder about it. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think one of the hardest parts of it all is, you always feel, I, actually, I shouldn't say always, because maybe some people, it's, it's much more obvious when it's, when it's time. But at least my experience is I, I always felt that I was one partnership or one breakthrough or one uh, technology release away from breaking through. And you're, the you're, drug of entrepreneurship. Oh my God. <laughs> it was, it's, you're just like, Oh, I can't give up now. Because if I just close this one partnership or launch this one new service, yeah. like this is it. And that's probably that's, that's intoxicating, um, feeling like you're so close. And what if you gave up right before the breakthrough? And that's what my, my friend is going through right now is he feels for the last three years, he's like one thing away from finally blowing up. Um, and it's like the next and then that doesn't happen. And then it's the next one and it doesn't happen. And there's a, an entrepreneur who's a very good friend of mine named uh, Eitan Elbaz, um, one of the most brilliant entrepreneurs that, that I've ever met. Um, so he actually started uh, Applied Semantics, which, which built AdSense, which sold to Google. And that's now Google AdSense. So, um, and he has this incredible story where it's like all the, you know, poop hit the fan and, uh, and, there was basically like, he had like two months or two weeks of, of runway. They had built multiple products. None of them worked. They only had enough time. There was this crazy disaster at the very end, which cut their already short runway in half. And they're like, we don't even have time to build a new product. 
we have to go back to one of our old products that didn't really work and try to refine it because that's all the time we have, guys. And that product that they went back to was the second out of, I think, seven products they built. And that was AdSense and ended up becoming Google AdSense and one of the b- biggest success stories. So you always feel like that's going to be you too, mm-hmm. right? I'm just, I've got two weeks left. Like this is the, where the rubber meets the road. This is my moment. Um, and it's hard to know when it's not your moment, right? And yeah. the moment for you is moving on. So speaking of moving on, how did you start AirVet? How did that come? Uh, how did you get the idea for it? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm extraordinarily fortunate um, to have a father who's a, a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And um, my, my dad has always been an innovator. Um, so being able to grow up in uh, the type of household with a, not only a veterinarian, but a, a pretty well-known and accomplished veterinarian. I mean, he, he, um, is extraordinary. And, um, I was very, I was very lucky to grow up with, with him as my father. And where, where it really came in is I also was very lucky as a pet owner to grow up with a parent who is a veterinarian because my experience as a pet owner was quite different than other people's. So whenever I had a, an issue, whether it was medical, behavioral, I picked up the phone and within seconds I was texting with him or on a FaceTime with him, had all the answers that I need. And uh, it was an incredible experience as a pet owner having that level of access to care. Um, And I want everybody to have that uh, level uh, of of access. I want everybody to feel like they have a parent who's a veterinarian because the problem is they don't. And when my my father was out of town for a couple of weeks and and not uh, uh, reachable, uh, I had a pet issue. And with the snap of a finger, I was like everybody else, right? I didn't know what to do, right? So the vast majority of pet owners will go to Google or social media for, for help before talking to a vet because their vet's closed or you know, half pet owners don't even have a vet. Um, and it was terrifying. It was a terrifying experience. So really what we set out to do uh, was to give the, the, the same access to care that I had growing up, having a parent who's a vet and a vet in your pocket, basically, to every pet owner. So that's, that's really what's... Uh, that spawned the idea of of AirVet. Interesting. That's pretty awesome. And I I was reading in TechCrunch that you just raised $14 million in your Series A. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Can you tell me about your experience in fundraising? Good, bad, ugly? So in AirVet, it was incredible. Um, We were in a very fortunate and unusual position for me. I've never been in this type of position where uh, with the tailwinds from COVID, all of a sudden, you know, virtual care went from, hey, this is a pretty cool industry, you know, over the next five years, this is going to grow a lot. And, um, you know, we wanted to be we wanted to be there early. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, when COVID hit, and the lockdown started, we became and telemedicine became uh, almost the exclusive way that <laughs> that pet owners and veterinarians can connect, and the business exploded. Um, so it's it's very bittersweet for me because on one hand it was great great for business right but on the other hand uh my mom actually got covid and was in the hospital for a week and a half um that was very scary i have friends whose whose parents passed from it um which is terrifying um and so sad my sister uh got it her husband got it so on on one hand uh on a business level it was an exciting time and opened up and fast-tracked a lot of opportunities on the other hand personally um, it was a scary and sad time. Um, luckily, everyone in my immediate family has recovered, but I have friends who's, who weren't so lucky. Um, so um, that's from a fundraising standpoint, when COVID hit and our, our business was just, I mean, just going gangbusters, um, it was a lot of inbound, right? We had no plans on doing a Series A this early. I mean, we've only been in the market for less than a year, right? Um, we had no plans and we had plenty of capital in the bank from our seed round. Um, so a, a lot of it was just opportunistic for us. So it was a lot of inbound and drinking from the fire hose. Um, we had you know eight people at the time um, and we were also growing so quickly. It was hard. So I found the experience to be unique because usually people are not just throwing money at you. Um, but I've had very different experiences at Lutzi. Right, which was more of your typical, you know, get you get fifty no's for every yes you get, and you're always selling. And um, uh, Airvet was just was was just uh, kind of a very unique experience um, when it came to fundraising. 
Well, and what do you think, you know, from a customer's perspective that makes AirVet so different? Because there are a few other players, you know, doing similar things in the space. You know, with these investor conversations, how are you kind of, what do you think you did differently in your conversations with them or just from a traction perspective, if that's all it was? Yeah, so it, it's a, I think it's a, it was a mixture of some of that, but mostly it was our philosophy on pet care. Um, so a lot of the uh, folks in this space, they're really SaaS tools. So what they do is they're B2B, right, or B2B2C. They partner with vet hospitals, and then those hospitals can use telemedicine with their clients. But it's a very restricting business model because what about, A, the 50% of pet owners who don't have a vet, right? They can't use the platform. And even of the ones, the 50% of folks that do have a primary vet, there's a very small chance that their vet uses that specific platform. So you would go into the app store, you would download any of one of those apps, and you would try to make a, you know, a, a FaceTime or video call on it. And it would say, Oh, we're sorry, your vet doesn't use this. So we'll, we'll let you know when they join, we'll reach out to them. And that's your experience. So our philosophy was, yes, of course, we're going to provide and build great tools for the veterinarians and, and partner with vet hospitals and give them this as a tool to communicate with their clients virtually and have connected care and, and all that. But we're also going to build for the consumer. In fact, we're going to prioritize the pet owner, not the vet. Um, every single pet owner in the country should be able to use AirVet, whether they have a vet or don't have a vet. If their vet uses AirVet or uses something else or doesn't use anything at all for telemedicine, we are going to build a platform that's consumer-centric where every pet owner in their country can use it. Um, and that's what made it so different. So any pet owner can go to the country, download AirVet, and in a couple taps of a button, be on a live video call with a licensed US-based veterinarian in seconds, right? And that's in 24 seven, it can be three in the morning on a Sunday, right? It doesn't make a difference. That care is always there for you because that's what I had. And that was really important to us to build a telemedicine tool that was consumer focused and not industry or vet or business focused. Interesting. And so while you were fundraising, I, it sounds like it was fairly easy considering the COVID and, and the traction and your, yeah. you know, your focus on consumer. Were there any naysayers? And if so, what were they saying? And how, how did you take it? Or how did you yeah. respond? If, um, so interestingly, we we didn't really go do a fundraise. I, I didn't leave my house. I didn't go really pitch anybody. Um, I didn't reach out to anybody. It was all, it was all inbound. And it was, it was more so the challenge was finding the choosing the right partner because we were speaking to amazing firms. I mean, the top, top firms in the country. So how did these, um, how did these amazing firms find out about you? Um, it's a very small world, uh, the, the venture space. And, once one person uh, or one firm pings you and says, hey, we're interested, and that conversation starts, the floodgates open because they talk to their one of their other friends who hears about something. And through your, your advisors and, uh, and whatnot, they're talking about it. And many of our advisors are also you know, entrepreneurs starting new companies, and they've had relationships with existing VCs, heard about it from them. So there was just a spotlight on telemedicine. And we're, we became in very quickly the, the highest and most rated uh, pet telemedicine app in the app store by like 100x. So by actually like 100x of like everybody combined, everyone else combined. Um, so I think we were just very lucky in that sense. Um, and we hadn't marketed or advertised or anything yet. So we were just growing organically like crazy. Um, uh, it was a bit of, of lightning in a bottle. Um, so I understand how unusual that is. Um, so for us, it became more choosing the right partner because this is somebody that you're going to marry, right? It's a, it's a, it's a marriage. They're going to be on your board typically. Um, it's long-term. Uh, you have to make sure your personalities are aligned, your visions are aligned. And that's not easy to do because you're talking to really wonderful people. Um, and all of them have a lot to offer. Um, so it's hard to choose. So that, that's where the mental gymnastics for me really were. Um, and, and there were uh, others that we spoke to and, um, and then had basically, uh, you know, hey, here's, here's what concerns us and, and all that. And um, normally, it, it's easy to take that personally. And it's easy to get frustrated by someone saying, hey, no, or not right now, or hey, we just want to see this, 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 and these 20 other things. <laughs> you just don't have time, right? Yeah. So uh, weighing that, it, it's easy to get caught up in somebody saying either, you know, no, or not right now, or wanting a whole bunch of more information. Because 
this is such a per, I mean, entrepreneurship is such a personal thing, right? This is, this is us, right? The, the, the you know, Airvet is part of me. And when someone doesn't immediately go, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want <laughs> in, I want in now, I want to be as involved in, and they have concerns. It's so hard to separate yourself and, and, and the part of yourself that's in the DNA of the company and vice versa from that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, the, the, the way we interpreted, uh, you know, the, the handful of, of people that ended up not moving uh, forward with us. And they had, they had, you know, their, their reasons for that. It was mostly, we were fortunate that most people wanted to move forward and we had to make the choice, but it, it was clear that everybody has a different checklist and you take it in stride and you learn from why they're saying no, don't take that personally. Don't, don't be offended. Don't feel like you need to convince them, take what they're saying, learn from it, why they're saying no and move on. And you can decide that their reasons are great and that stuff you actually need to improve or focus on, or you can decide that they, they just don't get it. But if they don't get it, you probably need to uh, look at yourself and say, maybe I didn't tell our story good enough. Storytelling is a really big part of fundraising. Did you find that that was something that you had to refine and work on through the fundraising process? I'm still working on it. I mean, it's your story is complex, right? And you have to distill it into something very simple, but your story constantly evolves, right? As a company, your mission, your vision, it's evolving as your business evolves. So yes, uh, absolutely. Um, Cause I could talk to you for two hours alone about our story, but how mm -hmm. do you condense that into three minutes or two minutes or, or, right. or 30 seconds? So you're constantly refining it. Um, and, uh, and figuring out what are the parts that people care about, right? Because I care about all of it, right? It's, this, is our, this is our baby. But what do others care about? What, how do I extract the most meaningful parts of, of the story so that someone else can be as excited as I am without you just dumping information all over them and like, you know, from like right. a fire hydrant? So yeah, absolutely. And I'm still working on it. So speaking of baby, I know that right before we started this, you mentioned that you have a three-month-old. Which... I do. Uh, is around the time when you closed your round. So I'm wondering, yeah. how has balancing this new fatherhood with being a founder? How is that going for you? And what have you been learning? I learned that my wife is a superhero. <laughs> That's first and foremost. Like I always knew it. I just didn't realize the extent of it. I mean, she's Wonder Woman. Um, and I think that just goes into having a great support system. Um, being an entrepreneur you live on an island and it's a very lonely job. You can have 10 co-founders. It doesn't matter. It's always going to be lonely. Um, and um, having a, a really good support system at home, um, friends, family, spouses, children, whatever, whatever yours is, is, is so important. Um, it's funny. Uh, Rebecca Lynn wrote a really nice post, I think on Medium, uh, about why they invested Canvas Ventures in, in AirVet and led our round. Um, so we gave birth on a Sunday. Um, and my first zoom meeting with Rebecca, uh, who ended up leading the round, uh, was on Monday, the next, <laughs> the next day. So, uh, it was right after having uh, a baby and, um, to her, that was, uh, a sign of dedication and, and she's not wrong. I mean, I think we're all entrepreneurs are dedicated by nature. Um, and it's hard to succeed in any way if you're not. So for me, you really have to learn. Also, you have to be able to prioritize really well. So being a new father, having a baby during COVID, which means no help, right? No family coming over and parents to help you, especially my mom had COVID. So she was, you know, I avoided her like the plague. Um, my wife's family lives in San Francisco. So you're on your own, right? And, um, and I think we're as entrepreneurs used to being on our own in, in, in many ways. Um, but I couldn't do what I'm doing now without my wife, right? She's the rock and she holds it together and she knows how important uh, it is for me. Uh, so many people rely on, on me and the company as CEO to succeed and to continue to build and to refine my skills. But it's also important to me because I have two babies now, right? I have Airvet um, and I have Mason and Mason's three months old now. Um, and it's, I still, it's, it's, refining the same tools we talked about earlier around prioritization and time management. So I made myself a rule that I sign off at 6, 630, barring, you know, super important deadlines or whatever. I try to sign off every day at six or 630. Um, so that I can spend time with my family. 
um, and, you know, give Mason a bath, you know, each night or, you know, help put him to bed and spend some time with my wife. Um, because as lonely as it is, uh, for me, if you have family that doesn't get to interact with you or see you, but yet they live in the same house, it's really lonely for them too. And we don't realize often how much we need them. Um, they're the first person we neglect, right? First people we neglect the friends and family when we're busy. Um, oh, yeah. 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 Well, how, how have you felt? I mean, I'm sure you've had to make a lot of those same, you know, balances. Well, I don't have kids yet, but, um, <laughs> but I definitely know that starting my first company, Wear Away, I was so all in it and being married alone, that, that, uh, that was enough to, to really jeopardize a marriage because when you're spending so much time on your company, you lose friends because you don't have time for your friends anymore. You, you don't have dinners very much with your, your spouse anymore because you're just working or having business dinners or business meetings and it just becomes a whole thing. So it's definitely, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up and, and saying that you've added this structure of I'm clocking out at six, six thirty because I think that's just very, very important for founders to be doing. It's all consuming. Being a founder is just an all consuming job and you just can't oh, let yeah. it consume you. So absolutely. And you have to ask yourself, I think as much as we immediately neglect our friends, our family, when we get busy, we neglect ourselves yes. the most. Um, I'm still guilty of that. I mean, I feel like I I sit at my desk and COVID makes it worse. I feel like I barely drink water. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm not even, (laughs) I need to get out of my chair and go downstairs, get some water. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, My wife yells at me all the time. She says, you don't drink enough water. Uh, And anytime I have any ailment, she's like, it's because you don't drink enough water, Brandon. (laughs) So it's, it's true. We neglect, we neglect ourselves uh, physically, mentally. um, And we ask ourselves, we neglect our own happiness without realizing it. So I, I would ask myself, if Ervet was a colossal success, but I didn't have my wife and kid next to me when that moment came to ring the, ring the stock bell, right? <laughs> ring the, mm-hmm. uh, or, or sell and sign those papers selling the company. If, if I didn't have them by my side, would I still be happy? Right. And my answer is no. I wouldn't yeah. even be close to happy if they weren't with me. So you have to make sure you prioritize what you're willing to sacrifice and stay true to that. Yeah. Well said. So you know, we all make mistakes. We are human. When, when have you felt the most defeated and how did you get back on your feet? It's a really good question too. Um, I would actually say when I, when I wound down, uh, Lucy, that was really, a really tough time for me. I, I, the wind was out of my sails. Um, I had to have conversations with some of my closest friends and family who invested and um, you know, and your friends and family round and, and other investors that I had such a deep appreciation and, and admiration for and call them and, and tell them it was over. Um, and that takes, gosh, that, that takes your stomach and it just turns it and you don't sleep for, for weeks. And this was at least my experience and thinking about, you know, all the things you could have done differently and, um, and, and how, and how you would have done them differently. Um, but I think, how I picked myself back up was really in, in those conversations with the people who backed you, um, really understanding why they backed you. Often I found in almost all my conversations, maybe all of them, it wasn't to make money, which is like, wait, what you invested, you obviously expect a return. You're like, why didn't you tell me that earlier? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And what, what I found was the overwhelming consensus is I backed you because I believe in you. And I backed you because of the passion you had for what you were doing. And I wanted to support you. And I still do. So when you start your next thing, make me your first phone call. And I'm going to keep backing you. And the, a ton of the um, investors from my first company ended up investing in Airbed. And even though it was a failure, right? In, in, the, in, the, um, in some senses of the word and others, it was a big success for me personally um, to learn uh, all the things that, that got the and they, it gave me the tools to be where I am now. It's not like we're out of the woods yet. I still got a lot of work to do. But uh, that was what I what what brought me back up on my feet and put the wind back in my sails and the confidence and pet back in my step was gratitude. To just be so grateful for those people. And I had one 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 investor named named Connor um, who I met through another in, investor's referral. He said to me oh, when I was starting my new thing, he's like, "Can I invest?" 
And I said, oh, yeah, uh, in the new thing, sure. Like, and he was like, you sound surprised. I was like, well, you know, we just lost all your, <laughs> I just lost all your money. And he said, what I just paid for was your education, right? I just paid for your education. And now that you have it, I'm not going to let someone else reap the benefits of that. Now I want to, now I want the return from what I, I just paid for, you know, that, that, uh, basically that, that schooling for you, that throws three MBAs you just got through starting a company I just paid for. So yeah. I'm going to be there to reap the rewards because I know how, how great you're going to do moving forward now that you've had those tough lessons. So that was an interesting way to look at it and, um, stepping out of myself and my, you know, my ego and my guilt and, um, and all of that and seeing, uh, and seeing the support system that I built and the people that still believed in me. Um, is what got me the, the confidence and, and excitement back uh, to go quickly uh, do the next thing and take that leap of faith uh, again. That sounds like a very smart investor. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's brilliant. So what's something you think most people don't know or realize about building a business? Because there's just so much hype, about, especially in COVID. Everyone's like, oh, start a business, start a business. Everyone's, you know, there's just so much kind of buzz around starting a company. But I, I definitely believe, and I want to hear your thoughts, that it's just not for everyone. So what do you think totally. people just aren't really thinking about or realizing maybe about the journey? Um, that you need to have an appetite for dirt. <laughs> and, and I think that is critical. Um, because that's a personality trait, right? Can I eat more dirt than the person competing with me? Because so much of being an entrepreneur is being willing to eat enough dirt until your dirt becomes caviar, right? And it's not that we do it for the money, you know, Lord, Lord knows I don't, it's a passion game. And there's just so much dirt eating along the way, and you're constantly clawing further and further. There's this, this show uh, on, I think it's on the history channel called alone. Have you heard of it? No. Oh gosh. It's, it's such a great show. So it's basically like they, they drop off these different survivalists, people that have different like survival skills, like outdoor survival skills in these, these grueling terrains in you know, British Columbia and, 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 you know, Antarctica and, and different areas that are just such grueling terrains, um, and, and weather and, and all that. And, um, they put them, I think it's start with 10 people in all different areas. And each area has specific set of challenges, right? So one of them will be by the lake so they can have fish and, um, but they have to learn how to fish in a, you know, in a, in a nearly freezing cold lake. And sometimes it is uh, frozen over in an ice cold lake and other people are in, they drop them off in an, in an inland, right? So they have to learn how to hunt and all that and create and set traps. And, um, and everybody, um, there's no cameraman, right? It's one person. And the interesting thing is, people tap out when they've had enough, right? And some, I mean, many people last months, right, by, their cell, by themselves. And the crazy part is, you don't know how many people are left, right? So they don't tell you, oh, there was starts with 10, okay, there's eight people left, you just have to beat eight more people. You don't know if there's one person left or outside of you or everybody. So you don't know if you have to be there for one more day and you win, and you have to beat out one last person or all of them. So what it, what it gives them the mindset of it's almost entrepreneurial in they don't know when their moment's coming, right? They don't know if they're one minute away from caviar, right? And the winner gets half a million dollars. They don't know if they're a minute away or a month away. So they have to be willing to eat dirt for another month or two months because they don't know when their moment is coming. And I think those that have the appetite and the grit uh, and the humility to eat dirt uh, longer than everybody else uh, is a big part of it because that's and it's not, and if you don't think people like Jeff Bezos still eat dirt, um, they do, right? Um, because that's what got him to where, to where he is now. So uh, there's that personality trait is being willingness to, to eat that dirt. People think, and, and so what's the one thing you think people don't know, is you see, you only read about the success stories, right, yep. often. You see the, the glamour and the, oh, the $20 million rounds, the $100 million rounds, oh, we sold for $5 billion. You read all about that and you think, oh, these guys are so lucky, like how great and wonderful that must be. But believe me, when they write their tell-all books, you're going to see how much of an appetite they had for dirt. And it was more than the people competing with them. Definitely. And I know that uh, I want to ask you, how, you know, about your dirt eating, but I feel yeah. like you've, you've kind of, you've hit on quite a few things, especially at Lutzi, you know, dealing with the failure there. 
Um, before we wrap things up, you've already, you know, shared a lot of great advice. Do you have any final advice you'd like to share for aspiring entrepreneurs that might be listening? Um, I think a big, a big piece of advice, which is actually advice someone just gave me about a week ago, um, when we announced our, or two weeks ago, when we announced our funding round, it was, it actually came from a guy named Dr. Russ Brewer, who's one of our partners at AirVet, one of the hospitals that use us. Um, and he was involved in our beta and we announced our fundraising round. And he wrote me an email, basically said, never forget your why, right? When, when I first met you and you sold me on being a beta partner for AirVet, it was because you wanted to help pet owners get better care uh, for their pets, become better pet parents. You wanted to help veterinarians in the vet industry provide that care and, and, and create a better work-life balance. That was your mission, right? That was your why. And I beg you not to forget that as you raise your rounds, as you grow, as you hire, um, as you uh, get big business opportunities, you know, acquisition offers, as you look at new lines of business, make sure it all maps back to your why, your original why, of why you started the company, what was your mission. And I'm not saying don't pivot, right? But when you pivot, what's that fundamental why? And stay true to it. And I thought that was some of the most insightful advice because it's one of the first things you sometimes forget when your business grows at, at a quick pace. You, uh, you just want, you want to do more. Um, and sometimes it dilutes your why. And being asked by a partner to not ever forget your why, because your why is why I joined in, in your beta. Um, that meant a lot to me. Um, and yeah. so that's the same one, the wisdom that, and I, and I don't have much of it, but the wisdom that, that I'd imp impart um, on any you know, future or current founder is, is not to forget your why and stay true to that because it's everything. That's awesome. And that's so important uh, to always remember that why. I think a lot of founders or entre you know, aspiring entrepreneurs kind of struggle with figuring out what their why is. Do you have any advice on helping guide them towards figuring out what that why could be? Um, so I, I would say, write it down right? Which is an exercise that sometimes people think, oh, yeah, like, I know my why, like, I want to do x, y, and z. But when you write it down, uh, it, it's all of a sudden, you can't find the words, right? Um, I started AirVet because and read that. And then ask yourself, if someone asked why you started AirVet, and I said, that, does that cover it? And then all of a sudden you find yourself deleting and then adding and then deleting. I would say write it down and what your objective is and why you started the company, not like value proposition to partners. That's not your why, right? Why did you start the company? And uh, writing that down and reading it and asking yourself, am I true to that, right? Have I been true to that? Am I true to that is, is a great exercise. And by the way, passion, I hate to say it, it ain't enough. Right. I, I grew up, I had a huge passion for basketball. No matter how big my passion was, I'm 5'11 and I'm, I'm, and I'm crap behind the three-point line. <laughs> and, and I was not going to go to the NBA. The NBA was not for me. Um, no matter how passionate I was, um, the, the NBA was not in my future. And nothing I could have done would make me NBA caliber talent. Mm -hmm. Right. So passion alone is not enough. You also have to look and, and be honest, uh, brutally with yourself. Why me? Like, what's my investors ask you this all the time? Like, why yeah. you? Why are you the one? What's your what's your superpower? What's your competitive advantage? What's what's your secret sauce or your your unfair advantages? We call it. For me, mm -hmm. um, it, it was how I grew up, right? It was having you know I worked in my dad's hospital for fifteen years, right? And I grew up in the Doctor Doolittle house with a family who was a vet. I understood the pain and I wanted to solve it, and I had unique insights there and. And, uh, and I had my dad who filled in all the gaps that I didn't have. So I not, I not only had the passion, but there was a very clear why me. So I would pair both of those. Passion is great. And believe me, you have to have it. No one's going to start a company, uh, regardless of their skills, without passion. But passion alone is just one part of the puzzle um, in asking yourself why you, right? What do you have that's going to enable you to execute on this vision? And if you can't answer that, um, then maybe that specific business, while you're passionate about it, might not be the one for you personally to start. Very well said. Thank you so much, Brandon, for being on the show. Do you have any other final words of wisdom you'd like to share? Uh, I guess I would just say if, if, if you're thinking about starting a business and the biggest thing that is stopping you 
is fear of failure. That is the worst reason to not start a business. In fact, it's probably the best reason to start a business. You have to be fearful of not succeeding because oftentimes the, the fear of not succeeding is what drives you to succeed because right. it's, it, it, you're, you're so scared of not. Yes. Um, but fear um, is also, uh, while it could be your best friend, it could be your worst enemy. Um, and the other bit of advice I would say is your team is everything. Absolutely everything uh, is your team. Uh, the culture of your company, the ability for you to look in yourself where are my gaps and be realistic with yourself um, and remove all ego and say, what am I not good at? Or what's going to take too much time for me to learn um, that I should probably hire somebody or bring someone on a team that, that fills out those gaps that I have. And also not just look at a resume, right? Uh, hire just great talent, people that inspire you. Um, and, 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 and do not hire uh, a, a team where you're going to continue to be the smartest person in the room. Hire people better. Hire people smarter in, in certain areas. Hire people with better and more experience in certain things. Um, and if you find yourself inspired every day by your team, then you have the right team. And continue to let them inspire you. Um, and don't just focus on how you as CEO and founder are going to inspire them. Um, really focus on how to empower your team to inspire you. Um, so that would be the, the last little bit. And I know it sounds uh, cliche, uh, you know, Rome, you know, takes a village, but no matter how great you are, no matter how great your idea, uh, you can't build it alone. And your team is going to be the difference between success and failure. Very true. <laughs> Good points. Also, a great skill that I didn't have in my last company is they say, uh, hire slow, fire fast, right? And I know that's uh, somewhat Machiavellian, uh, but it's, it is true. If you find someone that you've hired them and you, you can admit to yourself it's pro it was probably the wrong hire, um, there, there are times and people where you need to rip the bandit off quickly because even having one bad apple can create a cancer in your culture. Yes. And find it quickly. If you've made the wrong hire, be willing to say, oh crap, I've made the wrong hire, right? And move on from that quickly and professionally, of course. Um, but hire slow uh, and fire fast because uh, once you have a cancer in the culture, it, it can be really difficult to reset that uh, it could take a whole team reset and it's really difficult to do and it's problems you don't want um, to have. And uh, um, sometimes it happens without you being aware of it. So a, a big thing is be, be aware of it and, and focus on that all the time. There's a book on that. I forget what it's called. Is that what you're referring to? Oh, maybe. Uh, I, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just something I've been told uh, a lot, but it might be yeah. from a, a book. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you so much again for being on the show today. Really appreciate you sharing your story and um, best of luck. You've got millions of dollars in the bank right now. Go spend it well. I'm going and to Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> Take a vacation for the first yeah. time in a few years, right? <laughs> totally. But th thank you so much. And it was really, you, you asked great questions and, uh, and it was really wonderful to be on here and share some more about my hopefully not, not too boring story. So uh, this was great. It was awesome. Thanks so much. Wonderful. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.